the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Whether you enjoy the music or you suffer through it to get to the sermon, maybe it's the sermon you appreciate, not so much the music. What worship really is, is the subject of our time today as we take a look at its priority in our series on worship, Abounding Grace, coming up next. Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose and online at reformedheritage.org. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, who will return us today to our message called The Priority of Worship. Taken from our series on worship, we're looking at that priority that we are to place upon worship. Now, if we are to place a priority on worship, we also must understand just exactly what worship really is. And that's what we're doing today. Won't you join us? Here's Pastor Gary as we continue our series on worship, here on Abounding Grace. Someone tells us about some tragic event and we say, oh my God, that is no less using the Lord's name in vain. Or Lordy, Lordy, so-and-so is 40. It is also no less in vain to use the Lord's name when we call upon him in prayer and have absolutely no intention whatsoever of following up on what we have just prayed for. Lord, please help me to be more faithful in studying your word. And then this week is just like every other week, and you hardly crack the Bible open. That is, to call on the name of the Lord in vain. And that's blasphemy, brothers and sisters. Make sure when you pray to the Lord and you ask for something, you follow through on it. Whenever we use the Lord's name in some common way, some profane way, instead of in its holy and reverent and majestic and awesome image, we are not hallowing the name of God. And it is not just in the way we speak. To hallow the name of God means not only to reverence and honor God, but to also glorify God by obedience to his commands. Now, the primary essence of our relationship with God is expressed in worship and adoring prayer. The essence of prayer is primarily adoration. If you read the prayer of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2, you'll find no petitions Only verse after verse after verse of the wonderful majesty of God, about the perfection of his nature, about his holiness and his strength. And she goes on and on consumed with the perfections of God. In fact, she is so consumed that she can't think of anything else to talk about. Now we are commanded to bring our petitions to God. I grant you that. But we must never, 
enter into prayer without giving the God the adoration he deserves? What is the difference between the focus of Jesus' prayers and our own? The focus of Jesus' prayer was primarily on the glory of God. The focus of most of our prayers is on ourselves. I love that little acrostic for prayer, ACTS, A-C-T-S. Adoration, and then confession, and then supplication, and then thanksgiving, and then supplication, ACTS. Brethren, if we would spend more time adoring God, then it would lead us to spend more time thanking God for his forgiveness of our sins. And then, if we have any breath left, I guarantee he will hear your petitions. We seem to have the idea that prayer is little more than getting God off of his duff and into action on our behalf giving him his marching orders for the day, letting him know all the things he's got to do to make us happy. The purpose of prayer in the Bible is to adore God. And we have lost the sense of that, beloved. As I mentioned at the beginning of my sermon, worship is the eternal employment of the inhabitants in heaven. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. This should be a very familiar passage where Isaiah is confronted with the holiness of God. And I want you to see the elements of Isaiah's vision here. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. I want you to notice the purpose of these wings. With twain, he covered his face. That's an act of reverence. With twain, he covered his feet. That also is an act of reverence. And with twain, he did fly. That is an act of service. Two-thirds of the wings that God gave to the seraphim were to express reverence, while one-third expressed service. Now notice what these seraphim say. Here they are in the presence of God. If you had the opportunity to be in the literal, physical presence of God and to say anything you wanted to God, what would you say? Well, unfortunately, in hearing most people's prayers over the years, and I include my own, I'd say we'd probably ask for something. But notice what the seraphim said. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And there is a parallel passage in Revelation 4, starting in verse 8. And you don't need to turn to it, beloved. But it tells us that this same seraphim worshiped God day and night, 24 hours a day. It says they had each of them six wings about them, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And verse 10 also says, The four and twenty elders 
fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever. How about that? The creatures that dwell in God's presence, the seraphim, which literally means angels of fire because they burn with an intensity of love for God. They can think of nothing to talk about in the presence of God but his majesty and his glory and that all of creation abounds in it. They cover their faces in front of him in whose eyes heaven itself is not pure enough. Did you get that vision of God, brothers and sisters? God is in heaven. And nothing impure can be in heaven because it can't be in the presence of God. So everything in heaven is pure. But to God, heaven is not pure. Did I lose you? God is so pure and God is so holy that in his presence everything that is clean becomes unclean. Remember the vocation of the seraphim is to fly around God's throne 24 hours a day, keeping any impurity from approaching God while singing his praises. So how pure must a seraphim be? Well, in the presence of God, they very well understand they are not pure enough. So they cover their faces and feet, and they talk about God and how perfect he is. 24 hours a day, for all eternity, the seraphim say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That's what the pure angel does in the presence of God. But what does sinful man do when he comes into the presence of God through his prayers? He talks about himself, and we think that's the essence of prayer. Sinful man comes into the presence of God, looks boldly into the face of his almighty creator, and talks about himself. What arrogance, what audacity, what presumptuousness on our part to think that the first thing out of our mouth in prayer is to ask for something when we ought to be thanking him for not destroying us for such arrogance. You know, brothers and sisters, I decided to do this series on worship because I believe there are a few of you who don't take worship seriously enough. Some of you are always late, and that bewilders me, considering we meet at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. How much can worship really mean to you? Some Sundays I look out at you and many of you seem bored. Now I can understand you being bored with me, but that aside, this is worship. God is here. And this is that special time of the week that our great God has commanded us to set aside to glorify him with his people. Now, if you come here expecting to get something out of this worship, I can understand you being bored. But you've been called here by God to give him glory and praise and honor. 
And he called you here for that privilege. He wants you, Ryan Wagner, Stephen Loomis, Crystal Swartz, Don Wright, to be here each and every Sabbath to worship him. That, beloved, is a great privilege. And if any of you are bored here, I can assure you, you will be bored in heaven. In fact, you'll hate heaven. You will be absolutely miserable in heaven because worship will be our primary occupation for eternity. If you don't enjoy worship here, what makes you think you'll ever enjoy it there? And if you don't get excited about worship and find it thoroughly joyful, then how could you ever expect to bring a non-believing guest and then expect them to find worship anything but boring also? David Clarkson, a great Puritan pastor, said, Public worship is the nearest resemblance of heaven. End quote. Therefore, it should be preferred over private worship. In fact, my recollection of Scripture, there is nothing about private worship. Not that private worship is bad. I encourage you to do that. But all the worship of the people in heaven is public worship. The innumerable company of angels and the church of the firstborn make up one general assembly in the heavenly Jerusalem. It is one glorious congregation that jointly sings together the praises of God that sits on the throne, the praises of the slain lamb, and they continue employed in this public worship throughout all eternity. And if you do not enjoy worship, you are going to be miserable in heaven. I believe one of the downfalls is the church that we are constantly trying to be relevant. Well, God is relevant. There is nothing about God that is not relevant. And it is not the job of the church to find the right videotape to give to their teenagers to make them happy or to remove your children to children's church so they can be more comfortable my friends, worship is already relevant because God is relevant. And what we must do is get our hearts right so that we can see that everything about God is relevant. Worship is about pleasing God, not pleasing us. Most churches have the wrong focus. Worship is the primary focus of God. Worship is the primary focus of Christ and is the internal employment of those who inhabit heaven. And fourthly, it is the primary focus of the gospel message. We are told in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 and 7, when the angel preaches the eternal gospel to every tongue, tribe, and people, here is what he says. Fear God. Give him glory and worship him. That's the message of the gospel. 
The gospel message is not about me and my sins. The gospel message is about God and his glory. It is not instructions about how I can escape the punitive consequences of my rebellion against God. The gospel, beloved, is a command to worship God. And it is not an invitation. You can turn down an invitation. The gospel is a command and it must be obeyed by all or hell will certainly be your eternal punishment. And the gospel is not our testimony. When we are asked to share the gospel many times, we are requested to give our testimony. But our testimony is not the gospel. Our testimony is the result of the gospel. Indeed, it is a wonderful thing, but we must never equate our testimony with the gospel. Let us look at the words used in Revelation 14 to explain the gospel. Fear God, give him glory, worship him. There is much to be learned in these words themselves. First of all, fear God. The Greek word is phobio. And it means reverence. When scripture calls us to fear God, it does not mean a trembling dread of God as if we're going to be killed at any second. But it means a reverence or an awe. Why are we not fearful when we come into the presence of God? Why are we so comfortable in God's presence? You know, a few months ago, I was actually sent a flyer about a seminar, and it was entitled, Feeling Comfortable with Christ. I think it's a whole lot more important that God is comfortable with you and I, that he accepts us. To fear God is to see the perfection of his character and to be awestruck and humble and reverence and to say with Isaiah, I am in the presence of a holy God and because of my filthiness, I do not belong here. The second word is glory. Give him glory. The Greek word is doxē, to hold a high opinion, to have adoration for. And as it is used here, it is to hold a high opinion of a superior, adoration to someone who holds a high position. And then the third command is to worship him. The Greek word is proskunio, which means to bow down, to fall on your knees in reverence, to give God kisses, to hold him above all others, to give total devotion to. That is what it means to worship God, to totally humble myself before him, to show him reverential awe, to adore him above all others. Brothers and sisters, this type of worship, should be automatic for the believer. It should be a knee-jerk response to saving faith. To believe, Peter tells us, is to adore Christ. Peter said to those who believe Christ is precious. The response of the believer to God's call is one of reverence, love, adoration, and one of humility. Is this you? Are you here to adore God? To give him reverence. When you walked in this room today, were you thinking how precious your Lord is? 
Is your purpose for being here today to, to spiritually prostrate yourself before Almighty God and give Him the praise and honor He deserves? Or are you here because of mere tradition, because it's expected of you? Do, your, do you spend your time out there with your mind wandering half asleep because you spent all day yesterday going here and there instead of preparing yourself to meet your great God in worship. Do most of you, to most of you, worship is optional. Have I gone too far? Well, do any of you ever spend your Sabbath days doing something besides worshiping? Then you don't take worship seriously, brothers and sisters. It is optional to you. If you are in awe of God, if you truly reverence Him, then you don't want to skip public worship. Now listen to the definition of reverence. It means to turn on yourself or to put yourself to shame in the presence of someone greater than yourself. That's what it means to reverence God. Do you remember the story about the tax gatherer in Luke 18? Luke said he was unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven. He didn't feel he was worthy to look in God's direction. And he said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Now let me try and paraphrase this. Because this is an excellent example of reverence. What was he saying? God, if you want to find who it is to blame for the death of your son, here I am. You don't need to look any further. Beloved, we tend to hide behind our corporate prayers and say, oh, well, we're all sinners. Lord, please forgive us. Instead of being like the tax collector who says, like Paul, I am the chief of sinners. Lord God, if you don't forgive me, I will spend an eternity suffering the consequences of my sin. That's reverence. Coming before God and putting oneself to shame. No, I'm not saying you need to go around whipping yourselves, proclaiming how unworthy you are. But... That should definitely be your preparation of your heart before worship. And then when you enter that worship, it should be in glad adoration, knowing Christ has washed you as white as snow. Beloved of God, let me ask you just a couple of questions before we close today. How many of you spent any time last evening or today Preparing yourself to reverence and adore God here. How many of you are more concerned with whether you are pleased with the worship service than whether God was pleased with your worship? How many of you understand the priority of worship and the fact that nothing, nothing else you did this week is as important as what you have done or have been doing the past hour and ten minutes. 
Were you reverencing, honoring, and praising Almighty God while you sat there? Or were you simply just here? Amen. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.